Our reading for today is Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Listen now to the word of the Lord. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The word of the Lord. Good morning. The Lord bless you. Um, last time, um, I ended the sermon series on the topic of worship with the benediction. And based on some feedback and considering the ongoing challenges of the pandemic, I thought it would be good for us to consider more fully this idea of blessing. So um, that's what we're going to do over the next uh, eight weeks. All right. Uh, Please pray with me. Lord, we thank you again for this time uh, that we have together. And we want to consider together uh, what it is to be blessed, to be a people who are blessed and a people who can bless others. So God, speak your word of blessing to us and help us to be encouraged to encourage others. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. So our reading today is the start of what's known as the Sermon on the Mount. And Matthew tells us that when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain and his disciples came to him. So it seems like this message was geared for those who have taken the first steps as Jesus' disciples. However, at the end of the sermon, we are told that when Jesus finished these sayings, The crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. So even though the message might have been geared toward the disciples, the crowds also heard, and they were astonished. This continues to be the case. Even the contemporary atheist Richard Dawkins acknowledged Jesus, if he existed, was surely one of the great ethical innovators of history. The Sermon on the Mount is way ahead of its time. Jesus begins his sermon with a series of blesseds. These are collectively known as the Beatitudes, a word which means blessed. There are nine verses that begin with the word blessed, but the ninth one in verse 11 is phrased a little bit differently, and so most people think that there are eight blesseds or eight Beatitudes. You can see this in the overall structure, that there are two present tense promises of the kingdom of God, which surround six 
future promises of the kingdom of God. You see that the poor in spirit, there is the kingdom of God. And those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, theirs is the kingdom of God. And then the other six between them are all in the future tense. They shall be or will be comforted. They shall inherit the earth. They shall be satisfied. They shall obtain mercy. They shall see God and they shall be called the sons of God. This mixture of tenses reminds us that the kingdom of heaven is both a present reality and awaiting fulfillment. The already, but not yet. We have a taste of the kingdom life, but the fullness of that experience is yet to come. As N.T. Wright writes, the Beatitudes are a summons to live in the present in the way that will make sense in God's promised future, because that future has arrived in the present in Jesus of Nazareth. So over the next eight weeks, we're going to consider each of these Beatitudes. So first, let's take a look at what the word blessed means. Blessed in our reading comes from the Greek makarios, and it's been translated in quite a few different ways. You may have seen it translated as happy, congratulations, fortunate, supremely blessed, favored, honored, depending on which translation of the Bible you're reading or perhaps what other people have um, chosen as a synonym. Some scholars call it how lucky you are or wonderful news or oh the bliss. And the Amplified Bible, the classic edition, translates blessed as happy to be envied and spiritually prosperous with life, joy, and satisfaction in God's favor and salvation, regardless of their outward condition. That's why it's called Amplify, because it really amplifies that one word. Additionally, Billy Graham referred to the Beatitudes as the beautiful attitudes, and Robert Schuller famously called them the be happy attitudes. A few of you may know that the Beatitudes are also known as Macarisms because of this Greek word makarios. And it's been pointed out that Macarisms sound a little bit like macaroons and the Macarena, both of which have brought happiness at least to some, so maybe that will help you to remember them. Now, so much of what we understand blessing is a result of changing circumstances. We think if only we had made this decision instead of that one, if only I had this job instead of that one, if I only went to this school instead of that one, if only I had bought this instead of that, we feel daily fluctuations in our sense of blessedness or happiness depending on what others say about us, how we perform at school or at work or at home, how our favorite football team or fantasy football team does on Sunday, and increasingly these days, how good our health is or how safe we might feel. However, this idea of blessedness is not that kind of happiness. This word, for example, was used by the Greeks to describe their gods. They consider their gods blessed because they were self-contained and unaffected by the circumstances of life as human beings were. 
they were not bothered. They were not challenged by disease, misfortune, or death. They weren't dependent on being born into the right family with good genes or with wealth. And for example, the island of Cyprus was called the Blessed Isle because it was thought to be so beautiful and so full of resources that no one would ever need to or want to leave it. It had everything you would want or need. That's what it is to be blessed. It is a sense of self-contained independence with everything that you need and without having to rely on others or on the random chances of life. That may sound appealing, but that can't be what Jesus is talking about. He seems to be saying just the opposite. Blessed, blessedness, according to Jesus, does not come from having everything, but rather precisely because you are lacking and in need. Blessed are the poor in spirit, Jesus says, not those who are rich in spirit. And so what might Jesus be getting at? Well, first of all, the word poor that Jesus uses here means really, really poor. When someone was ordinarily poor, for example, like the widow in Luke 21, I don't know if you remember the story of the poor widow. Remember, she had only two pennies. That's all that she possessed in the world. We would call her incredibly and extremely poor, but she is referred to simply as someone who is poor. That is not the word that is used in the poor in spirit. Instead, the poor in spirit are really, really poor, completely destitute. The root of the word suggests to shrink and to cower, to cringe like a beggar. And in fact, it is used to describe the beggar Lazarus in the story that Jesus tells in Luke 16. In the parable, Lazarus had absolutely nothing. He was just hoping to eat a few crumbs that fell from someone's dining table. He was covered with sores and dogs used to lick them. To be this poor in spirit means you have absolutely no spiritual merit, no power for spiritual goodness, no spiritual resources whatsoever, not even two pennies worth. Max Lucado put it this way, they have declared spiritual bankruptcy and are aware of their spiritual crisis. Their cupboards are bare, their pockets are empty, their options are gone. They don't brag, they beg. That's the kind of poverty of spirit that Jesus says is blessed. Why? I think it's because people who are poor or destitute in spirit, know that they have nothing in this life that they can contribute to receiving the kingdom of heaven and must rely entirely upon God. Now, I want to be clear that this is not about having poor self-esteem or drowning in self-doubt or beating up yourself for being a loser. It's the self-realization that in matters of the spirit, in matters of salvation, the poor in spirit know that they cannot work, they cannot earn their way into the kingdom of heaven, and that those who are rich have no advantage over them. Being poor in spirit is the condition that leads to the blessing 
of the kingdom of God. It's a blessing because you have to rely entirely upon God. As the old hymn, Rock of Ages says, nothing in my hand I bring and simply to the cross I cling. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to that cross I cling. I've mentioned this to a few of you before, but um, God willing, I plan to title the last sermon I preach, I've Got Nothing. It comes from a thought or a wish that I've had from time to time. Most weeks, I enjoy studying God's word and studying and sharing my discoveries with you, like today. But occasionally, I get stuck and have a hard time. There isn't much joy in the study and I don't learn very much. So on those Sundays, I've wanted to come to the pulpit and say, I've got nothing. And then maybe we could just pray together or have someone just read Jesus's Sermon on the Mount, a much better sermon. Aside from its use as a a sermon title, I've Got Nothing is actually a pretty good place to start with God. Remember the parable that Jesus tells about the two men who went to pray in Luke 18? He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. One was a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisees prayed like this, God, I thank you that I am not like the others, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, and even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, that it was the second man who went away justified. For everyone who exalts himself will be humble, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. When I start listing to God an inventory of my spiritual activities and thanking God because I've been so good at attending prayer meetings regularly, because I do word studies in the Bible, because I joined a Presbyterian committee that no one else wanted to join, because I gave 11% of my tithes, because I marched in protest against social injustice, because I volunteered at the food pantry, because I went on a mission trip, or because of any other sort of spiritual accomplishment, I am exalting myself and have completely missed the point. Yes, of course, pray and study God's word and work toward a world of justice and shalom. But don't Let those things become a source of pride. Don't let it make you judge others with contempt and as less spiritual. Don't let it lead you to trust in your own goodness or your own ability to be more disciplined than others. Those that God seeks to bless are described in this way. Psalm 34, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Psalm 51, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. These are not people who are like spiritually powerful and proud. These are people who recognize their need for God. Isaiah 57, this is what God says, the one who sits high and is lifted up, who inhabits eternity, 
whose name is holy. God says, I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Isaiah 66, but this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in heart and trembles at my word. God blesses those who are poor in spirit. And Jesus says, theirs is the kingdom of God. I just want to make one reflection with you this morning as we begin our study of the Beatitudes or these Macarisms. As you heard earlier, there are many ways to think about and to understand what it is to be blessed. I'm convinced that when Jesus was giving the Sermon on the Mount, or perhaps when Matthew was organizing Jesus' teaching into the Sermon on the Mount, it was framed around Psalm 1. Perhaps the Sermon on the Mount is a sermon on Psalm 1. Recall that Psalm 1 begins with this word, blessed. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. And it ends with, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Likewise, the Sermon on the Mount begins with this first word, blessed, the Beatitudes, and ends with the parable about building a house either on sand that leads to destruction or upon the rock of Jesus' teaching that leads to life. Like the Psalm, Jesus sets before us two possibilities, two roads, one of blessing and life, and the other of destruction and death. Now I'm further convinced that when Jesus was speaking about blessedness, he was not thinking in terms of this Greek idea of blessedness that is the self-contained independent happiness. Rather, he was thinking about blessedness as the Hebrews understood it, as we see here in Psalm 1. The word for blessedness or blessed in Psalm 1 is asher. And it's a word whose roots mean, whose, the root means to be straight or even or level, and it implies this forward movement or advancing straight. It means essentially to be on the right road. To be on the right road. That's blessedness. And isn't that true? Don't you feel good when you're headed in the right direction? Don't you feel good when you're in the right place at the right time? Psalm 119 tells us, Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Or Proverbs 20, The righteous who walks in his integrity, blessed are his children after him. Throughout Scripture, we, we hear about those who are blessed, walking with God, trusting with God, this, this sense of being on the right road, being on the right path. And so the way the psalm describes blessedness is being on this straight path, on the right road. It means that even though the current situation might not look so good, even though life may seem really, really rough right now, you can still have joy and confidence and hope because you know that you are still on the right track. The bump in the road or the potholes might make the journey a little uncomfortable, but it's okay because you know that you are headed in the right direction. 
you are on the right road, you are blessed. And isn't that what we hope for, for ourselves, for our children, for our nation, that we are headed in the right direction? That's what it is to desire blessedness, or that's one way of thinking about what it is to be blessed. So those who walk in the counsel of the wicked, in the way of the wicked, those who boast about their own goodness, they're lost. They're on the wrong path. Blessedness describes someone who is no longer lost. It's someone who has been found. It's someone who is on the road of life. And as we discover later, Jesus is that way, that road, the truth, and the life. The blessed is someone whose life is aligned with the purposes of God and is walking with God. I know that this is uh, overly simplistic, but the religious people in Jesus' day were presented with four broad paths toward blessedness. The Pharisees basically said, let's go back, let's get back to our traditions, to our laws. Let's go back to the greatness of Israel in the days of King David and Solomon. The Sadducees said, the past is over, the past is done. Let's look ahead and adapt to our present culture and work with those in power. The Zealot said, the whole system is broken and all of it needs to be burned down and we need to start over. The Essenes said, yeah, it is hopeless, it's unfixable, so let's disengage and retreat to ourselves while the rest of the world burns. We might call them conservatives and liberals, revolutionaries and separationists. It seems to me that every generation is offered these four similar paths toward blessedness. And Jesus rejects all of these paths. Instead, Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. The way of blessedness is me. Not just his teaching, but himself. When Jesus first started preaching, his message was the same as the message preached by John the Baptizer. Jesus said in Matthew 4, the, his first sermon was, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Now that may not sound like a word of blessing, but it actually is. To repent means to turn or to turn around. To turn from following the wrong path, the wide road that leads to destruction. And instead, Jesus invites us to follow him. That's what it is to repent, for he is the way that leads to life. Jesus calling for repentance is really Jesus saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, because the poor in spirit have found the right road. They've turned from these false paths that lead away from God. They have come to know the truth. As Psalm 16 says, you have made known to me the path of life, and in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand, our pleasures forevermore. That's the path of blessedness. It's by the side of God, and in his presence, there is fullness of joy. In Jesus' first sermon in the synagogue also, according to Luke, was a similar message of blessing. Jesus first read from Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. 
He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And after he read that, he said, Today, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Here is the good news to the poor and to the poor in spirit. It is the year of the Lord's favor. It has been fulfilled. This is why Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. So let me remind you once again. God's desire for you. God's creational intent for you is blessing is blessedness. Isaiah 30 says, Therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore He exalts Himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice, and blessed are those who wait for Him. And Jesus says, Come to me, follow me, Walk with me on the road of life. This is the kingdom of heaven. This is blessedness. Let's pray together. Father God, in Christ, in your spirit, help us to recognize and to acknowledge our spiritual poverty and so find ourselves in your loving hands upon the right path of life. You make all things possible. You make all things new. Transform the poverty of our spirits by the riches of your grace. And in the renewal of our lives and of our lives together, show your glory. We ask this in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.